Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is Mike Hanlon, founder and CEO of Abet. Abet helps drive down the cost of healthcare by empowering employers with the information they need to be more savvy consumers of healthcare. Employers are the largest payers for healthcare in the country, but the data they receive from their healthcare vendors often leaves them without the information and tools they require to be smart purchasers. Abet is on a mission to change that. NextGen is a proud investor. Here's the conversation with Mike Hanlon. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning. Tell us what Abet does. So we're a data management tool that gives employers control over the HR and benefits data. And benefits data includes healthcare and pharmacy claims data. Uh, you know, in brief, we have a SaaS product that ingests every type of HR and benefits data that an employer produces or is produced on their behalf. We call this a, it's a central repository we call a lockbox. And not only is it a, is a data warehouse, does it provide data warehouse functionality for, for the employer, but it gives the employer the ability to share those data elements created by one vendor with another vendor, which is a pretty common use case across industries for all types of employers. And that, that product doesn't exist in the market today. And so we were fortunate to, to work with employers to figure out the need for that and, and to launch the first version of it. So I'm not sure I've thought much about the word lockbox for 20 years since Saturday Night Live decided that was the most important element of Al Gore's presidential campaign. But flesh out kind of what's in that lockbox and what is it used for? Yeah, so think about if you're an employer, you are largely paying the healthcare bills for your employees. And the data that reports on those economic relationships and those economic exchanges is largely held by other vendors. So your ability to actually analyze that economic activity and do something about it to lower your costs is, is historically been pretty limited. So this is a product that allows employers to take possession of that data and then share it with other third parties as they see fit to try to figure out ways to reduce costs. Now, this might seem a little silly. Why does the employer just get this data and, and do it internally? And it's because of the, the regulatory environment around healthcare data is very, very complicated. Employers own this data legally but they're also legally prohibited from taking possession of it themselves directly. So in a sense, they own this asset, but it's a radioactive asset to them. So we give a product that allows them to suck in all these different types of data that reflect the, or report on the economic exchanges they've got going on and give them the power to share that with vendors that will help them figure out how to lower costs or improve quality or both. Where did the idea come from? You know, the origin story is sort of intertwined with my professional background. Early in my career, I was the seventh person at Amazon.com, working, you know, mostly, mostly technical roles. And I left Amazon in 2001 and decided I wanted to do something entirely different. I ended up getting a PhD in economics. And when I got my PhD, I decided I wanted to be an academic, but I wasn't really in love with the economics profession. So I ended up becoming faculty in the School of Medicine at the University of Washington. And that got me working with healthcare data, you know, thinking about the healthcare system. Long story short, I ended up leaving academia in 2014 and, and working on a startup project with a friend. Uh, but you know, we had a, no product working fit. We shut it down. So in the summer of 2017, I got a call from an acquaintance with a very large employer. The employer said, "Hey, you know, you were this Amazon guy. 
and this healthcare guy, and we're getting killed on our healthcare expenditure. Can you please, you know, come in as a consultant and help us figure this out? So, you know, I, I, I jumped on that opportunity. It was sort of exciting to work with this, this company and this guy again. And what I realized is that they, I think it's correct to think of this employer as a consumer, think of employers as consumers. And as a consumer, they were asking very, very good questions. They were trying to behave like a smart consumer, but they just couldn't, they couldn't function because they didn't have access to any, any data to answer those questions. This was a shock to me to realize how little access they had to the information about this economic activity. And working with them, we were able to piece together, you know, they had enough problems. It was easy to find low hanging fruit there and call that project success. But when that wrapped up in December of 2017, I thought, you know, geez, there's a chance this was the most strict employer in America, but maybe not. Maybe what I just saw here generalizes across companies, across industries. And in 2018, I went on the road, so to speak, tried to meet with as many different players in the SIPA system as I could, follow the data, follow the money, and you know, eventually met with enough employers and heard the same story again and again, that this was a product they needed. And give us an example or two of what you think an employer can do when they have access and control over the data. Yeah, really what this does is reduce the transaction cost of partnering with small specialty vendors that can save you money. And so we have a, this is a real example, although I I can't use the company names. There's a very large Fortune 100 employer who is aware of this special little specialty firm that knows how to challenge a particular type of medical claim. And, you know, in expected terms, this employer will have somewhere between one and five cases a month that would be relevant to this little specialty firm. So from the employer's perspective, hey, yeah, sign a deal with these guys. They're going to find a case or so a month, which they can challenge. And that might save us, call it 50 grand a month or something like that. Now, the challenge for them is in the historical model, they would have to sign a legal agreement for this little you know, kind of this dumpy little vendor, honestly, would get access to every single bit of information that the employer owned, and they would be getting it directly from the insurance carrier. So now from this employer's perspective, it's taking an awful big risk by trusting this little company with, with not just the information on the one to five cases that might be relevant to their business relationship. This little company will get access to everything. And so this oversharing problem is a real risk for them the legal due diligence and the technical diligence required to sign a contract with this company is pretty high. Now, within the bet model, what we do is we're taking possession of that data on behalf of the employer. And when the employer wants to sign a deal with this little point solution, it does so knowing that we're going to prevent from oversharing. We're just going to give it the information, the, the subset of records and the subset of data it needs to do its job. So now you know that they're getting information on five cases a month or thereabouts, right? Not, not on the entirety of your population. And as a result, if you're a benefits director for a Fortune 500 company, you're able to sign a whole lot more of these deals than you were before. So Mike, at one point in our, our conversations, you described your view that the most important customer in the U.S. healthcare system is employers. It's not actually patients. Um, it's it's the employers who are actually purchasing on behalf of the you know majority of Americans who get their insurance through their employers, and it certainly makes a lot of sense that those employers want to be educated, they want to make informed decisions, they want to act as consumers, and that information is critical for them doing so intelligently. 
and that'll be beneficial to them. I'm going to share how I think about trade-offs within the U.S. healthcare system. And I wonder if you can talk about how a bet might fit into the framework, or please feel free to challenge the framework. The way I see it is that in public policy debates about healthcare, you often are looking at trade-offs between access or broad coverage equality, sort of one factor. Second factor is cost. And then a third factor is quality. So those, are, I think, are the three main things that people think about, cost, quality, and access. I look at a fourth as well, which is innovation. So how can we improve the whole system over time and, and kind of move up the curve on all of those elements? So I'm curious if you think see a bet fitting into that framework, or how does a bet drive us all forward? The two dimensions of those four that are the most interesting to me to think about is, is cost and quality first, and then, and then deal with the other two in a sec. You know, there's an empirical pattern, not just in the U.S., but everywhere. The correlation between cost and quality is actually negative, not positive. And so in the U.S., when you analyze who's the most expensive providers, they, they tend to be, by a broad number of quality measures, the absolute worst providers of, of that service. So there's really some interesting dynamics around healthcare that are different from other types of economic goods. Essentially, you want to go, when, you're, when you require health service, you want to go to a provider who is competent at that, who does it correctly, who does it by the book. And, uh, you know, again, it's an empirical matter. They tend to actually be the cheapest providers. So not that there's a free lunch here, but we shouldn't assume that we have to pay more for quality. For all sorts of reasons, we could probably spend multiple podcasts on we should actually expect to pay less for better care in healthcare, at least in the U.S. system as it is today. Access is really important. I think one of the challenges that we're facing right now, and, and you know, I, I sort of take the regulatory and the, and the public policy debate as exogenous to our business, right? We're not going to influence that. But you know, you've seen a, a massive trend in the last 25 years from the federal government. The federal government's share of healthcare expenditure in the U.S. has been steadily decreasing. As, as you know, I'm in Seattle, Washington, so I'm looking at Washington, D.C. from afar, but it seems like the last issue of bipartisan agreement, they want to get this liability off the federal books. And their strategies are largely to shove it to the states. The states recognize what's happening. They want to shove it off their books as quickly as possible and, and shove it onto employers. And employers are now sort of shoving this onto individuals with high deductible plans and, and other strategies. High deductible plans seem to me to be the worst thing we could have with respect to access of care, right? And we've given people insurance, but we've created, we've done so in a, under an economic arrangement that, that almost guarantees they don't want to use it. And then innovation. You know, I think a fair criticism of the medical industry in the U.S. is that it innovates on what it gets paid to do and not necessarily what enhances the welfare or life expectancy of, of individual patients. That's just economic reality, right? So. What we aspire to do is give consumers, I, I think back to this very first client who inspired this project. It's sort of this big lumbering employer and you, you didn't have high expectations for them. And I was shocked. They actually were, they wanted to behave like a smart consumer. They wanted to make great decisions with respect to these four dimensions and others, but they couldn't because they didn't have access to the underlying data. They didn't have the information they needed to be a good consumer. And so we view our job at BET is giving, empowering employers to have access to the data, the ability to use that data in ways that they actually function like a smart consumer. 
And we think that's going to drive cost down, quality up, because at least in the short run, there is no trade-off between those two dimensions. We think that will improve access for the employees of those employers. And you know, on the margin, initially, it's a very small margin. It's going to motivate providers to innovate in the right way. In the long run, I think, and I, I've shared this with, with you and others at NextGen, this glacial trend of, of changing expenditures, it's not changing, right? So eventually, I think 20 years from now, individual patients, individuals will be responsible for a much higher fraction of their healthcare expenditure than they are today. And individuals are going to need tools and services to help them manage this expenditure to know you're not getting ripped off, right, when you walk into a doctor's office. And it's very much our aspiration for a bet to evolve along with our consumers and that today we serve exclusively employers. Over time, we'll serve employers and individuals. But it's really to hold the healthcare system accountable with respect to cost, quality, and access. And ultimately, I think that if you do that, that will create the economic incentives for them to innovate in the right way. I've been struck in my amateur way trying to learn about the healthcare system. One of the biggest drivers of why we pay so much more in the United States than kind of other OECD countries is that many of the things that we do, the heart surgery, the fixing a broken bone, simply costs far more. The providers, the doctors are just getting paid way more than they would in other countries. I'm curious, A, to what degree do you think that is? driver of our cost structure? And B, you know, is there a way that a bet can help address that over time? Yeah, every empirical study I've seen on this question reaches that same conclusion. We simply pay more for everything. And how bills get calculated is opaque. And our job, we view our job is to give employers the data and the analysis to show them how a bill is actually generated. And we've gone about 40 years with this system in the U.S. I mean, we've gone about 80 years with the system generally, but the system we currently have has been more or less in place for 40 years. And nobody really knows how bills get calculated, right? Like when a bill comes in and it says it was out of network versus in network, if you're an employer, how do you really know that? And there are details in the claim information and in the plan information where, uh, you know, we as, as data analysts can assess that and tell an employer, hey, here were all these charges. Here's what we think these charges could have been under a different interpretation of the rule. And we're going to give you the information that you as a consumer might need to push back on your carrier or the provider to challenge some of those bills and challenge some of those rates. And currently, you know, we're doing this at a small scale and it's in an ad hoc manner. But you know, ultimately, our job is to give employers that information so that they can challenge those prices. But right now, it's completely opaque, right? When you go in for a hip surgery, they don't tell you what it's going to be in advance. Oh, I'm sorry, the vast majority of providers don't do that. There's a small set that actually do, and we think that's the business model that needs to take share going forward. Talk about what success looks like for you. Certainly, there's the financial success, right? You want lots of employers to sign up and pay you annually for your service. You've also talked about ways in which this information can empower employers to drive cost down. Are there other things you look at either with respect to employer success, employee success, bigger picture success? You say, you know what, that's what we're driving towards as a company. The really only metric we care about, I mean, as a business, we care about a lot of metrics, right? But in terms of our mission, 
Our job is for the employers who work with us to have their healthcare expenditure go down year over year, holding you know volume and quality constant. Right. So we have to make some attempt to, to make sure we're comparing apples to apples. But if you're using our service, you're doing so to give yourself more operating leverage and to reduce this monster variable cost that your business incurs. And you know, our belief is if we can accomplish that objective for employers for doing something right, and all the other metrics we care about as a business are going to work out just fine. Yeah, personally, I think that's really critical. But I think that as employers have borne a higher and higher cost for healthcare, just as the cost goes up year after year, and it's been doing so at an incredible rate, right? Compound interest, you know, you can really see it what happened in healthcare. That means the size of the pie is smaller for employees. So, you know, when you look at data that that suggests that even though the stock market is going up, but, but wages are stagnant, I think that is true to a large degree. But when you add the cost of healthcare and the benefit that keeps going up, that constrains wage growth. And I think there's an, an equity element to that. So if you can drive the cost of healthcare down for employers, then I think employees will probably capture over time the bulk of that that gain. But what do you see? Who are the winners if we can constrain healthcare costs? It really is about giving money back to individual patients, right? And and to your point, you know, you, you often see these little debates on on platforms like Twitter where someone will say, gee, you know, real wages haven't changed in the US since 1970. And then someone else will, you know fire back at 100 characters saying, oh, no, no, that's not right. Look at how, you know, average compensation per employee has increased over that time. And what those debates miss is that the residual is sucked up by healthcare. Um, so both those statements are true, right? It's not, it's not that employers have been systematically stingy. It's that the wage increases that should have been flowing through the households have thrown through the healthcare sector. And it's a big problem. But our mission is to reverse that trend, to stop that trend and reverse it. And ultimately, I mean, I have many friends. I mean, I was a bunch of faculty in the School of Medicine, right? I have many friends who are in the medical profession. They make too much money. If you're a surgeon, you deserve a good living. You don't sort of live in a $6 million house on the lake, right? Your economic contribution to society simply does not merit the money you have made in the last 40 years. I have a friend who works in the medical industry. He basically runs warehouses for medical supplies. And uh, he's a great guy, but he has two vacation homes and a private plane. I think it's time to take away one of those vacation homes and give back to the customers. Yeah, that's fair. I think, as you mentioned that, the, the Jeff Bezos line, your margin is my opportunity. And I think of it, especially in light of today's news, that Amazon for Prime members is now selling deeply discounted prescription drugs. And when it's not paid for with insurance, when it's paid for out of pocket, I'm curious, you know, how you see developments like that direct to consumer taking place outside of traditional insurance. The regulatory environment is very tricky. You know, Amazon's not the first entity to try this. They're certainly an incredibly competent company. And if, if, if it's possible to do this in the current regulatory environment, I, I think they'll find a way. But, you know, the, the, the PBM industry, for example, the operators in that space are, are very clever at figuring out how to you know, extract money out of the system for themselves and to fight off competitors like Amazon. So I'm curious to see how that shakes out. But ultimately, I think it's going to be a combination of you know, employers as sort of the most powerful consumer group stepping up saying, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. We're going to demand different economic relationships. 
And, and regulation probably actually follows that rather than leads in that regard. But a combination of those things will create a dynamic where I think we'll start to see different economic relationships where we will see more, more direct to consumer. We will see more transparency in pricing. And as somebody who's in this space, I'm thrilled that Amazon's pushing on people, right? Because they have a way of bringing light to those, to those corners. But ultimately, I think the change is not going to come from another vendor like Amazon supplanting some, some pretty tough competitors. It's going to come from employers demanding different contractual relationships with their service providers. Mike, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.